0: Okay, so probably said when I ran uh, when I uh, ran the communion part of service to introduce myself. I'm uh, Graeme Errington, and uh, I'm really um, I'm really the, the bench player um, got to start tonight because you're really going to have um, Trevor as your preacher. Um, uh, yeah, Trevor Lucas, but um, he came down with with a nasty case of COVID, not this and um, he was with us at uh, core, but. Obviously, on, on the screen coming in by Zoom, and obviously with a bit of a, a nasty cough and all that sort of stuff. So, I, I got the spot for today. And uh, we're going to have a look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the, the back half or towards the back half of the chapter, um, under the heading, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Uh, now, about um, probably, I haven't heard about it uh, the last few years, but maybe 15 or 20 years ago, a lot of people were talking about and Uh, a view of death that a lady called Elizabeth uh, Kubler-Ross put out. Uh, There's some some sermon outlines came with the bulletin if you want to have a a pen and I'll try and and keep up to date with saying here's the notes or something like that and leave leave you to muddle on generally out there in the pews. Anyway, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said that um, when when you're told you're about to die when the doctor gives you the bad news the first thing you do is you're in denial. She said there's five stages, she said, and... First of all, said, oh, no, it couldn't be me. I'm, I'm fit and healthy. It couldn't happen to a strong man like me. And then, then, then you sort of do a bit of bargain. You say to God, well, you know, if you get me through this, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go upstairs as a missionary. I'll serve you. I'll give you lots of money. So there's these sort of five stages. That's what she said anyway. She wasn't a Christian, coming from a Christian point of view. And she was saying that uh, the final stage is you kind of, kind of accept it and come to peace with the matter. And uh, people sometimes... Uh, So it shows some sort of growth in their life as they come accepting of that. And certainly, Christians can show some remarkable spiritual growth when confronted uh, by impending death. Though um, physical death is a reality, uh, still, uh, I think I've got the Bible right here, it's not natural or good. It's not a good part of God's world. It's not a natural part of God's world. Death is an aberration, it's a blight on the human race uh, because it brings us alienation from God. Even the psalm that we said, the man there didn't have uh, quite the clear perspective on the resurrection that we get in the New Testament. Uh, and he didn't want to die in the trouble he was in, whatever it was, because he was saying to God, you know, how, can, how can I praise you when I'm dead, that sort of thing. How can your praises come from there? So he sort of, saw it was, it was not a good thing for him to, to die. Well, we have uh, in uh, the New Testament the, the example of the resurrection of Lazarus. I think I've got a, got a picture on this. Uh, it's a well-known uh, miracle that Jesus uh, performed in this. One, one of the great artists had a go at it. And that's Lazarus there on, 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 on the wall with the sort of grave clothes falling off him. And remember there the, the detail that Jesus wept at the, at the tomb of Lazarus because uh, he was genuinely upset by the a uh, rampant death that was destroying the world around him. And he showed it to be an enemy that had to be defeated when he called Lazarus out from the tomb. And we've done the resurrection of Jesus on this today, of course. So I thought we could usefully follow up with a sermon on the resurrection of believers. So we've talked about, oh, Jesus was left an empty tomb, but what about me? What's going to happen to me when I die? That sort of thing. After all, we often say, I believe in the resurrection of the body. It's one of the statements in the creed when we're doing church so 1 corinthians chapter 15 uh, some verses to read verse 35 uh, but someone may ask how will the dead be raised what kind of bodies will they have and he keeps on going what a foolish question when you put a seed into the ground it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first and what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow but only a bare seed of wheat Whatever you are planting, then God gives it the new body that He wants it to have. Now, there's always people around who say that having dead people live on is impossible, and they mock the idea. And you can see here in this this part that we've read that Paul is running out of patience with the people. He calls it, This is a foolish question. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can see from the number of the verses in it, it's a long chapter. It's probably one of the long, long chapters of the New Testament. And the first good half of it is all about the resurrection of Jesus and the second half it he follows up we talking about the resurrection of, of the believers of Christian believers and that's the part we're looking at tonight uh, tonight so the issue is whether God whether or not God exists in the Old Testament the fool says in his heart there is no God and here is a foolish question by someone who doesn't believe in God so the issue is whether God exists or not if he exists He's certainly able to give us resurrected bodies just as Jesus is able to call Lazarus out of the grave. Now, we should uh, just clear, clear the decks a little bit because uh, there's a common view in society. Paul is not discussing the nature and the immortality of the soul in this passage. When Christians talk about the resurrection of the body, we're not doing the immortality of the soul. Okay, so we've got to hold those two things separately in our mind. People talk about the immortality of the soul. You watch the old movies on TV sometimes, old black and white movies, someone dies and then they sort of adjust the camera lens and this sort of ghostly thing floats up from their body and kind of floats up into the sky and people still talk about, you know, he's up there floating around, he's kind of with me. And this is the old idea of the immortality of the soul. The Christian idea is the resurrection of the body. It is not the immortality of the soul. Remember the rhetorical question Paul's asking, how will the dead be raised? With what kind of bodies will they come? Not what kind of soul lives on. What kind of bodies do they come? The people of those days could not get their minds around the concept of the human body being raised because they believed, the Greeks believed, that the body, so my body here, they would say to me, inside your body is your soul, and it's imprisoned in your body and it's wanting to break free from your body. Your body is trapping your soul and it wants to burst out when you die. It bursts out, it rescinds back to the heavenly realms. That's that thing in TV where the, the guy dies and they change the camera angle a bit and it's, something sort of floats up to the sky. That's the sort of immortality. So it's the old Greek pagan idea. The Christian idea is the resurrection of the body. So part of the Christian gospel is the resurrection of Jesus with his heavenly body and the empty tomb. Therefore, the resurrection of the body is also part of gospel teaching. So what is the resurrection of the body like? As Paul puts it in this passage, what kind of bodies will they have? And the the apostle begins to answer his own question by asking us to think about a comparison of seeds in the ground and uh, as we've read before, when you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies So Now, this is not sort of modern agricultural science. We know that sort of the seed isn't really dead, even if it looks like it. Paul's talking in the way they talked in those days, the way they thought in those days. So it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. What you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat, whatever you are planting. So when you look at a seed of a wheat, we've got a of wheat, and we've got a, a photograph here... Uh, or whatever the plant might be, uh, the farmer sows the seed in the ground and the seed rises up with new life. Well, those seeds, they hardly look alive. And when you grab some peanuts to eat, they don't look alive. They look as though they're dead. Of course, if you planted them in the ground, I suppose you'd get a peanut bush one day. You know? So they are alive. They don't look alive. And Paul, Paul doesn't sort of quite follow modern science the way we do it today, but he says he sows the seed in the ground and the seed rises up with new life. And in just the same way, God provides a new body for the believer who dies. The Greek word for body is soma. We have the word somatic running through the English language. It's the resurrection of the body that he's talking about, not the immortality of the soul. And it's a glorious new body that bursts forth from the ground. Just go out into the fields... Uh, in springtime and look at the plants bursting forth. A glorious new body has risen up from something that just appeared miserly and dead or something like that. And I want you to think about going to a funeral and just like the seeds of, just like the seeds of wheat that are sown uh, into the ground, uh, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, I've got a picture of wheat plants, did that show up while I was talking? I'm looking at my notes, I wasn't looking at the screen. There, there they are bursting up. Suddenly, uh, something completely different from what you would never imagine—that kind of thing. And I want you to think about going to a funeral. I've got a picture later on. The f- picture doesn't come up just yet to the uh, the tech guy up the back. And just like the seeds of wheat are sown into the ground, so also in a funeral, a body is—a human body—is placed in the ground. And just as something completely different, like a field of wheat, comes bursting out of the ground. Uh, it springs up for the far- farmer so also a new body says Paul is going to spring up from the ground where the human body was placed like sowing a seed in the ground he's using this analogy you can recall I hope elsewhere that Paul speaks of the graves being opened when Christ returns and the dead will rise that's stated elsewhere in Paul's writings I won't refer you to that now you can probably think of it And just as when you plant wheat seeds, what comes up from the ground is still wheat, so also when the Christian dead are raised, the earthly body will be transformed, yet it will be the same person. However, the form of the person will change. Just as a wheat plant is different from the seed, so also the new resurrection body is different from the old body that was placed into the ground. And so we see that God, uh, that Paul, I should say, brings God himself into this equation. He reminds us, don't forget, it is God, verse 38 on the screen, it's God who gives it the body who wants it to have. So God is the creator. It's the most basic of all Christian doctrines and therefore God is also the recreator and he's going to recreate a new body for you. And just as wheat plants are perfectly suited to growing in the field, so God will recreate our earthly bodies to be perfectly suited to the life of heaven. God doesn't want to, us to live as a sinful body anymore. No, I didn't say in a sinful body. He doesn't want us to live as a sinful body anymore. He wants us to have a new spiritual body. A spiritual body in the Bible is not a ghostly body, not a spook, not a ghost, not a soul. It's a spiritual body. It's part of the spiritual realm. So we've got a picture of a funeral here. The body that's put into the ground perishes away. I don't know if they had much in the way of cremations in those days. Anyway, he talked about funerals in the ground. It's generally the case that even before that person died, it was clear that their body was perishing away, unless they suddenly had an accident one day, it's in the middle of their prime or something. At least from the age of 50 onwards, to go by my own experience, probably even earlier, we're already in the process of perishing and we can tell it. The spectacles, the fillings in our teeth, the sore back, the various illnesses, stuff like that, we're already perishing. Even though we might try to hide it with cosmetics and Botox, that's not me, by the way, and with hair colouring and hip replacements and the like, even though we try and hide it, we are perishing. But God does the real replacement. He transforms the earthly body into a heavenly body, meaning, uh, along with other things, it will never grow old or sick again. And Paul goes on with three contrasts and there's going to be some things to jot down if you've got your sermon uh, points ready. And in three contrasts, in these verses we come to a marvellous piece of scripture. Uh, Verse 43. Our bodies are buried in brokenness but they'll be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness. They'll be raised in strength. They're buried as natural human bodies. They'll be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. So Paul there makes three contrasts. Broken bodies versus glorious bodies, weak bodies versus strong bodies, and natural bodies versus spiritual bodies. We're going to look at each one of those in turn, and there's a spot to write this down as we go along. A broken, weak, natural body is placed in the ground, but what's going to come out? So first of all, Uh, This will be, uh, if you can jot jot something down here, broken versus glory or brokenness versus glory. Verse 43 said, Our bodies are buried in brokenness. They'll be raised in glory. Now here, our Bible translation, the New Living Translation, is very clunky, using the word broken and brokenness. It's not not really the way we speak in the English language. The the old um, Greek just said, we're buried in dishonour. That was the old word. They were trying to get, how, how do we get this idea across? Well, they cho- well, let's choose the word broken and brokenness, but it's dishonest is, is the, old, the old word there. When a human body is laid to rest in a funeral, they sow in the ground, because we're using this concept of sowing seeds and raising to new life and that sort of thing. It's sown as a broken body. This does not mean that that dead person was smashed up in a car crash or something like that, a more exact as translation would be that the, the body is being buried in dishonour. Again, not that this person is the worst possible kind of human being and at funerals doesn't always jump, someone jump up and, and give a nice speech about the person bringing out all their good points, of course. But when human die, when humans die, it's because of sin. And that's why Paul says it's a broken body or it's sown in the ground in dishonour. When we die, it's because it's not that you did the last sin and God struck you dead, but that sin is generally all around the world and death is there for everybody. It's that sort of connection. Because, of course, death entered the world because of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. I'm sure you can recall the opening chapters of the Bible without me going there and reading them out to you. And one of the functions of funeral is to proclaim the sinfulness of all humanity. And you can't avoid it. There's a coffin there and that coffin is a broken person. And although these days we get lots of secular funerals to go to, uh, and the last funeral I was uh, called on to attend, and I did attend, and I wasn't running it, of course, but I was was there because I knew the person, it was a secular funeral because if the people are not believers, then their families often choose to have a funeral with no prayers or no Bible readings, no teaching sermon about death, nothing like that. So uh, you've probably attended these funerals just like me. So, most, as you know, mostly you're left with a series of people talking how good the dead person was, and, and it turns out they're almost always a wonderful person. Um, in truth, almost the most wonderful person ever to walk on God's earth. But if we attend a Christian funeral, then we should be getting the minister saying that we all fall short of God's standards and that Jesus died because we fall short. So there's a reality at a Christian funeral which isn't there at a secular funeral. Can you see that? Because we say, yeah, sin is real. Now we're not saying this person, we're not going to jump up and say, give a list of sins and that he was the worst person out. But something has to be said in the funeral, that sin is real and there's a way through, because of sin, Jesus died for sins, that sort of stuff. So there's reality at a Christian funeral, there's real hope because Jesus really died and rose again. All have died because all have fallen short of the glory of God. The body has been full of unworthy attitudes and actions. And this is symbolised by putting the coffin in the ground. And this should be made clear irrespective of whether the deceased person was a true Christian or not. So those who have fallen asleep have been placed in the ground in dishonour. Uh, New Living Translation, in brokenness. They use a sort of somewhat clunky word. But he says in the contrast, they will be raised in glory. Because they'll be raised on the day that God fully recreates the world. When the new age fully arrives, when Jesus arrives in this world as he really is, and all the decay and dismay and all the badness of the world is swept away, we'll be raised to be part of that world, we'll be raised in glory. And this is really what Paul is saying when he says we're we're buried in brokenness. I think if you're writing this uh, in your notes, there's a spot there. We're broken because of sin. That's the thing that fills in there. And human death is a sign of the sin which is everywhere. But he goes on to say we're raised in glory, meaning the resurrection body will not have the imperfection of sin, but it will be sinless, reflecting God's glory. Not with a glory of its own, only reflecting God's glory. And the second thing that he's got uh, uh, in his little list of things in this paragraph, says Paul, there's weakness versus strength. This is number two in your notes, weakness versus strength verse 43 says they're buried in weakness but they'll be raised in strength now paul himself knew personal we- uh, weakness you might get the impression from you know, reading paul's letters he just used to charge around like superman all, the- all over the world setting up churches and converting people left right and center and he, did- he did do that sort of stuff but he-, he himself in his own life he knew personal weaknesses and he struggled with them and he says so so earlier on in the same 1 Corinthians letter, but an earlier chapter, he says, When I arrived in Corinth, when I first day when I showed up, I was full of trembling and weakness. It turns out, as, as we read along, he had an unspecified bodily ailment that he never disposes. He says over in 2 Corinthians, the other Corinthians letter, If I must boast, I'd rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. So he had some some sort of problem in his body, whether it was a stutter or a limp or bad eyes or something, where other people have had various guesses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul speaks of a thorn in my flesh, whatever that was. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away from me, but God said to Paul, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So here we see that God's strength always overcomes human weakness and this is what we see in the second contrast it's weakness versus strength and we know about the weakness in our own bodies and God's strength is going to overcome that and we're going to have strong bodies one day so Paul knew that his body which would be placed in the ground one day was a body characterized by weakness and to recognize this is to recognize that Christ supplies our shortcomings. So he said, "I'm glad to boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ can work through me. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Now think about you and me. Our bodily weaknesses means that some or all of these things could possibly happen to us. We can have accidents, we can have injuries. We can be unable to achieve all we want because of our weakness. Just a little aside here, this shows the folly of perfectionism, of people trying to set themselves up or parents trying to set their kids up to live some sort of perfect life where they always get incredible results and they're the best sports person and this, that and the other. We can't do it because our bodies are weak. It says so in Scripture. Now, certainly we can try all we want and we can do our best at every occasion. We can study hard to develop our minds and we can practise at our sport and so on. But we can't be perfect. Uh, God's strength is shown when we realise we are weak. And to these weaknesses, we can add uh, the foolish choices that we make sometimes or sinful choices. Sometimes people get addicted to drugs and that sort of stuff. But uh, filling in a point on the uh, sheet... Uh, It's In the sermon notes it says your weak body or my weak body maybe it says will be raised up in power. My weak body will be raised up in power with the strength it needs to carry out God's will, to carry out God's will. So God will give us strong bodies. We'll be able to do his will. We'll want to do his will and we'll be able to do it. Something's stopping us at the moment. It's the weakness in our bodies. And the third thing that Paul has in this passage is natural, the third contrast between what's in the ground and what's raised from the ground. It's natural versus spiritual. But, of course, spiritual doesn't mean a spook or a soul. It means a spiritual body. Verse 44, they're buried as natural human bodies, but they'll be raised as spiritual bodies. What's all this mean? Well, for starters, a natural body is part of this world. And thus, it's subject to sin and failure. It's part of nature. It's a natural body. Our bodies right now, we're all natural. We're all part of this world. It's like Adam was taken from the ground, made from the dust, and we're descended from Adam. We've got natural bodies. We're part of this world. But a spiritual body is one which is designed for life with God and suited to the life of heaven. This body which I've got right now isn't suited to the life of heaven. It grows old, it's weak, it's full of failures, it's beset by sin, etc., etc. It's going to perish away. I've got to have a new body which is suited to the life of heaven. Animated by the Holy Spirit himself. Perhaps this is why it's called the spiritual body. Capital S Spirit. Spiritual Holy Spirit, maybe. A spiritual body where the Holy Spirit lives and moves in that person and they're always perfectly in tune with, God, with what God wants. You never do anything else in heaven anyway, I guess. And therefore, it's a spiritual body. So what kind of body will be raised so after initially being placed and going, well, if we can't draw a picture of it, you might say, oh, it would be nice if uh, you know, the preacher could draw us a picture or show a flash on, on the screen. It looks like it's going to look like this and so on. Uh, we, we don't know that, but it's going to be a body which is glorious, powerful and spiritual. That's the kind of body you'll be given by God one day. And scriptures tell us, I'm reading on now in verse 45, uh, the scriptures tell us, the first man, Adam, became a living person. Uh, it's, of course, a quotation from Genesis chapter 2. The last Adam, he means Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. We're not confusing Jesus with the Holy Spirit, but Jesus was in the heavenly world, the spiritual world, and he dispensed spiritual blessings like the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit and so on. So, the last Adam became a life giving spirit because Jesus is now supreme king of God's heaven and he awards eternal life and a resurrection body to his followers. And thus, we're still in verse 45, but the last Adam is a life giving spirit. So, now Paul is focused on two people. Uh, And there's a few verses coming up that are a little bit difficult to unpack in their fullness and we won't try. But they're all about two people. And those two people are Adam and Christ. The natural body and the spiritual body. The first man and the second man. The man from the earth, the man from heaven. So I'll read through the next few verses as they, uh, they appear up on the screen, I hope. And the thing to notice, uh, there's no notes to take here. We're just going to uh, put it past our eyes and through our brains once. That'll, that'll do for this bit. The thing to notice how each verse is about two different men. Verse 46, what comes first is the natural body and then the spiritual body comes later. So the comment is, Adam was first with his natural body, Christ came later with his spiritual body. First of all, of course, Christ had an earthly body, but when he was transformed and raised from the tomb, he was bursting with the life of heaven, and they could tell it when when they saw him. Verse 47, Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. There's the contrast again. Verse 48, earthly people are like the earthly man and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. So now it's not just Adam and Christ, it's also a whole group of people who follow after them. It's the people who belong to either Adam or Christ. It doesn't seem to be a third alternative. You've got a natural body or you've got a spiritual destiny. You belong to this entire human race. Verse 49, and just as we are now like the earthly man because we've got Adam's sin within us, by by dint of had birth, we will someday be like the heavenly man. So everyone is like the earthly man, Adam, but we, he means Christians by this word, not every human being, we Christians, he means, will eventually be like the heavenly man, Christ. You would have noticed that each verse has two opposites. And every single human follows the pattern of Adam or follows the pattern of Christ. Earthly people are like the earthly man. Heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Heavenly people are Christians, it's you and me right now. Just as we're now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. Paul tells us that Adam and Jesus are similar in this one respect. They are both inaugurators of a race of of humans, plural. So these two men are all people. Adam's body is made of earthly materials. Remember that God formed Adam from the ground. And those who are descended from Adam also receive earthly bodies. And after the first sin, God said to Adam, from now on the ground was now cursed because of your sin. What had been ruined would never be made good again. And so the effects of that first sin are still with us. My body and your body are now being marked as being broken, sinful, weak and natural. Part of nature. But because Jesus' new resurrection body was made in heaven, because when scripture says that God raised Jesus from the dead, it's also saying surely that God transformed Jesus' dead earthly body into a glorious heavenly body. So Christians, because we belong to his race, receive heavenly bodies from him. We will on the resurrection day. All people are born with an earthly body with all its limitations because we're all descended from Adam. We die and we're laid to rest in the dust. But some will be given a heavenly resurrection bodies. So the question is, how can I get one of those heavenly bodies? Where do you buy them? Well, in the notes, in order to rise with a heavenly body, you must become a follower of the first man to have a new body, and that's Jesus. You must be connected to Jesus. You must be connected, that's the missing word there, to Jesus. Jesus, remember told Nicodemus how to get it. In his discussion with Nicodemus recorded over in John's Gospel, chapter 3, Nicodemus asked Jesus, how could a person be born again? How is this possible? And Jesus told him that birth into the new humanity is not like birth into the old one, where we're born just because of Adam, part of his race. One is physical, says Jesus, by the choice of your parents, born into Adam's world and, just like Adam, excluded from God's paradise. The other, though, is spiritual. And it's by your choice to put your trust in Jesus as saviour. So uh, people are writing the spaces in the notes. So Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. Both the first Adam, that is the Adam of uh, of Genesis, the Adam of Genesis, I should say, and the last Adam, they were prototypes. The actions of both men impact all people. By virtue of being born human, each and every person is identified with Adam in his humanity, fallen humanity, and in his condemnation, and thus also in his death. But Jesus Christ came to the earth as the last Adam, So that we could be saved by identifying with him in his death, burial, resurrection and ascension. By acknowledging our sin as well as uh, acknowledging the condemnation we rightly deserve and by trusting in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ in our place we will enter the new humanity. The gospel is the good news that there is a way through death to the other side there is a resurrection of the dead and that Jesus knows the way. When we belong to Jesus by faith then we'll also be buried but also raised up with a heavenly body free of sin filled with God's power and perfectly suited to life in heaven and so we will enter into eternal life. I think now we're going to sing.